You can check out our website at theeerietouch.com for our source materials and reference photos for each episode. You can find this podcast on Spotify, Apple, and our YouTube channel. Be sure to follow us on Facebook for new leads and updates. And we would really appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you listen to your podcast on. It would really help us out. Hey, y'all. I'm your host, Gabrielle. And I'm Kayla. Welcome to The Eerie Touch, where we're going to be diving into all things murder, mystery, and paranormal every week. Now, to kick off this podcast, we're going to be discussing a case that hits pretty close to home for us. A case that involves a small-town pizza joint turned front for cocaine trafficking. When two FBI informants turned against each other, one petty crime boss concocts a plan with the help of his employees resulting in murder. This is the murder of 33-year-old Carla Collins. In junior high, after not getting along with others in Detroit, Michigan, George Porgileco went to live with his grandma in Red Jacket, West Virginia. His mother, Mary Leco, always sent him spending money and always doted on her only child. She's quoted in an interview with the Charleston Gazette, stating, I've spoiled Porgy all my life. He's all I ever had. From being spoiled his whole life, it's safe to say Porgy was used to getting his way. And I'd say he was probably set in his ways, too. Oh, definitely. So, it's no surprise when Porgy spent a year in prison in 1990 for a cocaine conviction that he came out an unchanged man. As it turns out, Porgy was set in his ways. Unlike most who spend time in prison and get out, they at least tried to do better, but not Porgy. The way he looked at it was he had an entire year to learn from his previous mistakes as to not make them again. That's right. His year in prison was spent dwelling on how to fool the police and get away with his get-rich cocaine scheme and a nasty drug habit. And for a while, he did exactly that. But... Like most things that seem too good to be true, it was. Back in its heyday, Southern West Virginia was known as the heart of the billion-dollar coal field. Back then, jobs could be found everywhere. Businesses boomed and towns flourished, but soon enough, little towns in Southern West Virginia and Eastern Kentucky were brought to their knees when greed and politics took down the coal industry. Mate One suffered tremendously, and when the 77 flood hit, almost wiping Mate One off the map, the U.S. Corps of Engineers came in to build flood walls. The flood wall in Mate One was supposed to separate the town from the Mighty Tug River, but in reality, with bad planning and the rerouting of traffic around town, for the most part, it just ended up separating it from the flow that once had its bustling little town. People no longer had to drive through the town of Maitland to get where they were going, so the lack of a busy town had business shutting down. And with the lack of coal and businesses, good jobs were scarce. So as the people and businesses drifted away, there wasn't really anything to do. There wasn't anything to keep people busy, really. So the most convenient form of entertainment emerged, getting high. And this is when Porgy Leco came up with a deviant little plan to bring back some business and entertainment to make one. 
Porgy opened up his own Pizza Plus in Red Jacket with good food, fun arcade games, and even putt-putt golf out back. It was a bright start to the townspeople who had grown dreary from what their hometown had turned into. And with every smile that walked through the doors of Pizza Plus, Porgy saw a promising start to the real business he had opened up behind closed doors. Cocaine, pills, weed, bath salts, it, it didn't matter what you were looking for because Porgy had it all. It was the only place in surrounding areas where you could literally pull up to the drive through window and get a pizza with a bag of Coke in it. Talk about curbside service. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for real. But Porgy wasn't just bringing in new customers. He was also recruiting some of those same customers to help him deal his dope. It's within this that he comes across Patricia and Charles Burton, Valerie Friend, and Walter Harmon. And these will be the four people who will ultimately end up burning at the stake with Porgy Leco. Now, things were good for a bit. Pizza Bless seemed to be an up-and-coming restaurant. It usually packed out, and it became the hangout spot for kids. There was a grade school that sat right beside Porgy's Pizza, and accounts from kids who went there state they'd always run over to Porgy's and grab a snack while they played basketball games. And like... <laughs> Who in the world sells drugs next to a grade school like that is just so crazy? Oh, honey, Porgy didn't care. He even sold drugs to minors. Wow. <laughs> what an outstanding citizen. Like, great guy he was. Mm-hmm. Patricia, who worked for Porgy for eight years leading up to his demise, sold as much as 1500 or 30 50 bags worth of Coke each day. I mean, right before the restaurant got shut down, they were selling $2,800 a day. Business was high. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the good times for Porgy and his pawns were just beginning. Accounts from people who ran around with Porgy and the group back in the day say those times were a wild ride. Like a rock and roll lifestyle, cocaine-fueled nights consisted of drinking, smoking, and drugs with whoever was wanting some easy dope and willing to pay it by joining in with their wild orgies. <laughs> <laughs> it was nothing to stop by Porgy's Pizza to get your pre-game fix before heading out for a night of partying. I mean, we've talked to numerous people around here that ran in the same circle at some point back then, and all of them said hanging out with Porgy was like being in a movie, like a B-list pulp fiction. It would make you forget that you were just someone from a small town, and that intrigued a lot of people. As word of mouth went around mate one, more and more people were falling victim to the tale of a good time. Though, to those unbeknownst to what was happening under so many noses, this was a chance at a new job, a chance of decent pay in a town that if you were in the medical field, then it was hard to come across a job that was hiring. I mean, after the coal industry plummeted, the amount of unemployed got so high that the jobs that were hiring, it was like the same 
same equivalence to throwing meat in a lion's den. People who were desperate to bring themselves and their families out of poverty that they fell into so quickly. So to them, this could be a new beginning, which ultimately led to the befriending of 33-year-old single mother of four, Carla Collins. Carla came from a good old-fashioned Southern family like the most of us around here, with God-fearing elders and country values. An old friend who preferred to stay anonymous in an interview with the Herald Gazette said Carla was a sweet woman who loved and always tried to be there for her friends and family. She was a good girl who just got caught up with the wrong people. Yeah, and I'd like to take a second to say this country is slowly being overrun with drugs, but in a small town like Maitland, it seems even more prominent. It's so easy to make one mistake like trying drugs and it leads to a hard stop. Yeah, it is. A lot of people have this like common misconception that if it was easy to start, then it must be easy to quit. And I've smoked for 12 years and let me tell you, it's hard as hell just to cut back on cigarettes, yet alone quit. So I can only imagine quitting something that's been deemed more addictive. Yes. And if there's anyone listening who's fighting that battle, we want you to know that you are loved and cared for. You are stronger than your addiction. We're going to link the National Drug Addiction Helpline down in the description. The help is free, confidential, and they can help find the treatment that's best for you. All it takes is just one call. Now back to the story. As a single mom, Carla first came around Porgy's with the assurance of a job to support herself and her babies. And with a beautiful woman walking in asking for a job, Porgy couldn't say no. And while time progressed, so did the friendships between Carla, Patricia, Valerie, Walter, Charles, and Porgy. Somehow, they had become the it group that everyone knew. For those of us who went through a bar phase when we were younger, um, I'm going to like compare it to that. For me, it was like if I missed one weekend of going out, then I was missing everything, you know? Like, like everyone else was out there having fun while the world turned and I would be at home by myself missing it all. So, like, I wanted to be out having fun with everyone. Oh, yeah. I could remember when I was 18 working until midnight as a cashier and I would rush home just to change clothes and go out to the bar just to see everyone. <laughs> I was devoted <laughs> to going out. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Partying is definitely a busy lifestyle, though we didn't party hard like them. Um, no, nowhere near as hard as they did. <laughs> yeah, like we just like to hang out drinking it dolled up to dance. <laughs> yeah. As the popularity of Pizza Plus grew, so did the friend group. All this did was make Porgy feel untouchable. Everyone knew his name. People came to him for favors and help, and everyone wanted to be his friend. And the parties always grew because of it. Though, apparently, Porgy didn't realize that there's a difference between being famous and infamous. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people don't know the difference between the two. (laughs) Yeah, you're probably right. Well, just in case you don't, Famous is, you know, famous is like just being wildly known. And infamous is being known for having a bad reputation. But regardless, Porgy would soon have the feds in his pocket and enough drugs and power to persuade anyone to do what he wanted. He ended up growing a liking to Carla. She did her job. And he felt like she showed loyalty through that. She was young, she was beautiful, and let's not forget, easy to manipulate for Porgy. So with the time that they spent being around each other, he 
decided her to be trustworthy. Manipulated and playing on a single mom needing extra money, Porgy knew Carla couldn't say no to the picture he painted of money, fun times, and protection working alongside him in his behind doors business. You know, I don't really blame her. I mean, imagine being a young mom of not just one, but four children and living in once a thriving and colorful little town that's now bleak and dull with hardly any jobs. And all of a sudden you have this man who's portrayed himself as this successful businessman who will help care for you. I mean, I probably would have done it too if it was me. Oh, absolutely. And you just know he probably went on with his big head about how smart and well thought out he was. He probably even persuaded her by mentioning how long he had been doing it and how he still wasn't caught. So I can see how someone in her shoes would end up accepting his invitation. Mm-hmm. Well, things were looking up for Carla, at least for a bit. She had decent money coming in, good friends she could lean on, and with the protection of Porgy and him somewhat spoiling her with little gifts and his attention, the good looked like it outweighed the bad. Now... There isn't any proof of this, but a lot of people have speculated that Carla and Porgy slept together. It is just speculation, but when you take into account what Porgy was known for, I would say she probably did. I mean, the lifestyle that they led had the groundworks for it. With Porgy, you couldn't have one without the other, but that wouldn't last. You see, Patricia had been sleeping around with Porgy too, and watching how Porgy treated Carla didn't sit right with her. But wait a minute. Weren't they having these like wild orgies? Mm-hmm. So that would mean he was sleeping around with other women and that was known? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You'd also think that she would know about how Porgy slept around, slept around anyways. I mean, he was married. He was married. Oh, but yes. I couldn't find much about his wife online besides what little she's mentioned in court documents, so I'm assuming she was cleared when it comes to Carla, but I'd like to think his wife knew what he stayed up to. She couldn't be that blind being married to a man like Porgy. People, let it be known more times than not, if they cheat with you, they will cheat on you. Ain't that the truth, honey? So here is where the wedge between Carla and Patricia's friendship starts. It's unknowing if Carla realized that Patricia was jealous of her. Carla seemed to have trusted people she shouldn't and seemed to give people the benefit of the doubt. So I would say it's possible that she didn't at least realize how much it affected Patricia. Yeah, I feel like we all at least once throughout our lives have ignored the red flags. I mean, I've been guilty of it. Oh, honey, I have too. Now, I'd be the first to admit my mistakes. Mm. But remember how I said earlier that word of mouth was bringing up business for Porgy? Mm-hmm. Well, business wasn't the only thing it was bringing up. With more and more people handed drugs, you had more and more people getting on police's radar. So much so that local police police agencies reached out to the FBI to help search and put a stop at the source of what was causing so much havoc in the small town. It's when the FBI comes in, they come across the man himself. Now, they end up befriending Porgy and talk him into becoming a drug informant with the information that they were actually looking into another dope dealer. And wouldn't you know, Porgy agrees. But did they know that he was selling drugs himself? Honestly, I'm not sure if they were aware in the main beginning of everything, but if they did, they, they didn't let it be known to him. In the end... Porgy helps the FBI with their investigation. But throughout the years of him successfully escaping the light of police, 
he still sold drugs out of Pizza Plus the entire time. Wow. I'd say he thought if he had escaped police detection for the years that he had at the time, he probably thought he could out with the FBI too. Oh, for sure. I just, I just wonder if the thought ever crossed his mind that they may have had like just a little inkling of what he was up to. <laughs> That's a good question. Mm-hmm. That may have been the reason he talked Carla into working with the FBI too. Wait a second. So, Porgy convinced her to become an informant as well? Yep. And looking back at it now, I would say he had her work with the FBI. So if they did start saying things about Porgy, she would let him know. Oh, yeah. That's a good point. Mm -hmm. But you see, what he didn't know was that things had been coming to light for Carla. What started out as fun and promising had become treacherous and dark. The bad was now outweighing the good. What was once fun had turned into an addiction. The friends she thought she had were slowly lifting their veils. And she was realizing that she was somebody that she didn't want to be anymore. And in a situation that she didn't want to be in. She needed to get out. And according to friends, she had been trying to get out for a while, but each time Porgy or someone else in the group would pull her right back in. So when she agreed to work with the FBI, according to an anonymous post made in December of 2005, which was when blogging was on the case was pretty high, she had decided to make her escape by helping law enforcement. And in the beginning, Carla did just that. She kept Porgy out of the main light by catching others that were just as guilty as him. And in court documents, he tells Judge Copenhaver that Carla had told him she was wearing a wire for state police, but was snitching on others in order to help keep him out of trouble. Now, Carla was going above for the feds and were giving them more information than Porgy ever had which caused investigators to grow weary of Porgy's informant status. He was providing little information on others and was continuing to sell cocaine out of Pizza Plus. So by this time, the FBI knew he was selling drugs, right? Yes, actually. See, they arrested Porgy in February of 2005, but did admit that they didn't take all of his drugs and money. Instead, they thought by ruling with an iron fist that it would have Porgy actually cooperate for once. But they soon realized once again that Porgy, (laughs) honey, he doesn't change for anyone. So this is when the feds start having Carla collect information on Porgy. And it's that change of direction that ultimately seals her fate. Hardly a month goes by, and according to Patricia, by April, Porgy was convinced Carla was providing police with damaging information about him. It didn't take him long before he was asking Patricia to talk to Valerie about having Carla, quote-unquote, knocked off. In the end, Porgy gives Patricia a 38 caliber revolver, and they start to discuss a plan with Valerie, Walter, and Charles. In court, they all tell similar stories of what happened. In the early morning hours of April 16, 2005, they spent the night driving around Red Jacket and Mate One, doing bumps of coke, drinking, and getting high in the car. Music was blaring, and Carla was oblivious to what her so-called friends had in store for her. When the early morning hours arose, they begin to drive up Double Camp Hollow and they pull off at this abandoned trailer. Wait a minute. And Carla didn't think it was weird that they were taking her to this abandoned trailer? You know, when I was doing the research for this case, I... (laughs) 
I couldn't find anything that stated how or what excuse they actually gave Carla to get her into the trailer. Well, it is kind of true that a lot of drug users and partier, partiers go into abandoned places to get high. So maybe that was the case. Yeah, it very well could have been. All I could find in a court transcript was that Carla was walking down the hallway in the trailer towards the rear when Valerie shot her. The bullet ends up grazing the side of her head. And now I do want to go ahead and give a fair warning that what I'm about to say is the actual statements of Valerie and Patricia in court. And to some, it can be very gruesome physically and emotionally. So I just, I want to give a fair warning. Patricia says under oath that Carla grabbed her head and said she'd been shot. Valerie then tells Patricia to get Carla into the other room, which she does. Valerie, Valerie not only had the gun, but she also had brought a rock and a hammer and like the rock was actually a piece of cinder block. Now, Patricia states that she saw Valerie strike Carla once in the head with the rock and then Carla begins to plead for her life. She starts talking about her babies and she's begging Valerie to just like, just let her pray for a minute. And Valerie replies back to Carla with, you didn't bother to talk to God yesterday. Why would you think that he would talk to you today? Patricia recalls the scene as gruesome and Valerie just like kept beating Carla with the rock and hammer while she begged for mercy. And she was then shot two more times. Oh my God. That is so brutal. Like, I don't even know what to say to that. Yeah. Like, when I first read it, I kept, like, I just kept rereading it and rereading it because it was like my brain could not process that this happened, like, pretty much right down the road from us. Yeah. I mean, it was literally in our backyard, pretty much. I know, right? So, the plan... The plan was that, okay, so Patricia and Valerie murder Carla in the trailer. Then Patricia's husband, Charles. Wait a minute. You're telling me that Patricia was married too? (laughs) Yeah, she is. Apparently, everyone was just getting high and screwing whoever would give it up to them. But anyway, so, so the girls murder Carla. Then Charles comes back and Charles burns their blood splattered clothing at Patricia and Valerie, along with the lining of the car seats in which Carla was transported in. Then later, Walter Harmon was to return to the trailer and burn it down with Carla's body inside. Though, for unknown reasons, he changed his mind last minute and decided to bury her instead. He actually tried to call Porgy that night, but Porgy's wife, Jean, answered the phone instead and told Walter that Porgy was asleep and she wasn't waking him up. So he goes on and with the help of the girls, he digs a shallow grave on the property the trailer sits on and pits Carla down in it. Walter then ends up returning to the trailer and burns it down to the ground to get rid of any evidence at all. At this point, no one knows besides the group what's happened to Carla. Poor Carla. Yeah. So the FBI wasn't watching her? I guess not as well as you'd assume. Wow. You would think that they would protect their informants. Like, that's part of the deal, isn't it? Um, I mean, I guess. That's what you would think, right? I mean, I know they do to an extent, but I guess they don't have someone following you 24-7. Yeah, but that just doesn't sit right with me. I know. It doesn't me either. I don't know if it's local police agencies that watch informants or if it's the feds. Well, you have these people that are putting their lives on the line just to help you. So you would think they would just put more effort into protecting their informants. Yeah. No, I mean, like, I agree with you. I'm just saying I can understand if it was local police because 
you don't have enough officers to work every day and follow however many informants you have around 24-7. And people, you know, like you can't just say get more police because, you know, police agencies would have to have the funds for that and people would have to apply and actually pass through the police academy. I get what you're saying, but it still bothers me. And what about the FBI? I don't know about the FBI. If they're the ones who watched, then you'd think they would have protected her, but they may have not known how violent Porgy could be. There's a chance they thought that he was just this small town drug dealer down in West Virginia and that this would be a routine takedown. Yeah, I guess that could be true. Mm-hmm. Well, anyways, so Porgy threatens death to all of them that's involved. He says if they, if they talk about him. But of course, <laughs> Porgy... He can't help but brag about it. In court documents, Valerie says that Porgy was telling everybody that he had Carla buried face down so she could see hell coming. Oh, wow. That sounds pretty messed up, but I guess you wouldn't expect anything less out of the devil himself. Mm-hmm. Well, poor Carla's mom. Carla's mom, Tina Collins, she ends up filing a missing persons report when she hadn't seen or heard from her daughter. It wasn't until June of 2005 that the police end up discovering her body in the makeshift grave. Because of Porgy's big mouth, everyone had been gossiping about the possibilities of what happened to Carla. People started calling and talking to the police about their suspicions, which is what led them to the friend group from hell. And surprise, surprise, everyone ends up turning against each other. The police arrest the group, everyone that was involved for the murder and among various other charges. And everyone's pointing the finger at Porgy. And Porgy, well, he's pointing right back. And Porgy's defense first tries to put all the blame on Patricia, claiming that she was jealous of Carla for the attention that Porgy gave her and it was all her idea. But now, of course, no no one falls for that pathetic excuse to get the blame off himself. When Judge Copenhaver asked why he should not proceed with sentencing, Porgy replied with, well, I'm not guilty of the murder. That's a pretty good reason. I'm no more guilty of this murder than anyone else in this court. But (laughs) Porgy shows a side that we've not seen yet because Porgy begins to cry in court when Copenhaver later urged him to keep counseling younger inmates, as he has during his five years in jail, since his arrest to achieve partial redemption for his crimes. Judge Copenhaver ended his conversation with Porgy by saying, You have been found guilty of having masterminded the taking of a life, the most precious of all things. This case made headlines all over the county and surrounding areas. It was just, it was unbelievable that something this big, you know, and tragic had happened in a small rural area like Matewood. And with something this big, everyone was talking about it. To say that people were gossiping is really just an understatement. Oh, especially in our little town of Matewood. Really? Rumors ran all over the place. You had people saying that they had Carla's body in a freezer at Pizza Plus for a while. You even had people saying that Porgy didn't do it. Porgy's own mother, till the day she passed away, was in complete denial that her son had anything to do with the murder of Carla Collins. 
Are you serious? Mm-hmm. I mean, I can see a mother wanting to believe her baby was innocent, but Porgy was into some deep stuff. I know, right? Mary Lecko, she's actually, she stated in an interview with the Charleston Gazette, and she said, they cannot prove that he killed that girl. They can't say he was doing the killing. So now they're saying he told them to do it. Well, she did say that he was all she had. So, mm-hmm. I would say it was a little traumatizing for her to have her only son be put away forever. Yeah. I'll, I'll agree with you on that one, but I'd hope if God ever lets me have kids that I would have the heart and mind to realize that God forbid, God forbid, being put in the situation Mary was, that letting your child get away with murder? Well... You know, I just don't think that's taking very good care of them. (laughs) But anyways, so there was even one rumor that Carla had been sleeping with a trooper that was on the case. Now, Porgy's defense, oh my God, Porgy's defense logged on to that one, trying to say that, well, the information that Carla had given the police on the drug ring, that it was invalid and it was all pushed by her trooper love interest. Overall, though, the relationship between Carla and a trooper Nelson was denied and dismissed in court. And so what if Carla was having a sexual affair with this trooper Nelson? Even if she was, did he really think that that would excuse him of all of the charges he had? I don't know what the hell him and his team was thinking. You know, I'd say they were probably pretty desperate to grasp at whatever mud they could to throw on the wall. But no matter what they tried to grab onto, it didn't work. And ultimately, in the end, the sentences are as followed regarding the death of Carla Collins and all of those involved. George Porgileco received two life sentences plus five years. Patricia Burton received 30 years. Walter Harmon received six years. Valerie Friend received 35 years. And Charles Burton entered a guilty plea for obstructing an investigation by his part, and he received two years. Now, everyone that was involved, they're all serving. um, They're either still serving or have served their sentences in federal prison. But at the end of the day, a woman lost her life for trying to do the right thing. I mean, she was a mother, a daughter, a friend, and she was taken advantage of. And though I'm glad that her killers were caught, that still can't bring Carla back. No, it can't. A mother had to continue life without her daughter, and the four children that Carla had had to grow up without their mother. Mm -hmm. That alone is a tragedy within itself. Yes, it is. And as Porchileco has dwindled away behind bars, it's when he meets his maker that he will truly answer for his sins. Again, I'm your host, Gabrielle. And I'm Kayla. We'll talk next week.